This is Jessica. And this is Kelly. And this is the Chasing Brighter podcast. Hello, welcome to today's podcast. We're going to be talking about um, establishing and setting boundaries during the holidays. While family celebrations are traditionally cheerful occasions filled with love and laughter, for many of us, spending time with family can be a grab bag of emotions. You may feel love and familiarity, but there's also decades-long dynamics between you, you and your family members that may not be the most healthy. Your family may treat you like the person they remember, and you may revert to that role when you're around your family without even realizing it. And today, our guest today is Sophia Lyon of Prairie Health and Wellness. She is our resident medical expert and a nurse practitioner. She has been so incredible with us, um, being vulnerable and sharing her own experience with her family and her family history. We thought it would be great to come on and just for us to have a casual talk about our experiences with family during the holidays and how we now establish boundaries. Welcome, Sophia. Well, thank you for having me again. It's a pleasure to be here. So are you going to be traveling or what are your any holiday plans that you're excited about? Uh, we typically stay in town with my mom having had a series of hip surgeries. She's just not quite as mobile as she once was. So we'll end up having Thanksgiving at her house and we all just kind of chip in to co-cook in, in her home and set it up so that we usually have anywhere from, I'd say, uh, 15 to 20 guests during holidays yeah yeah how about you Cal? what do you do during this thanksgiving so for thanksgiving and christmas my husband's family has a rotating calendar that is uh, scheduled like a decade out <laughs> every 10 years you know <laughs> if you're on the thanksgiving hook or the hosting christmas hook um it's a pretty structured thing um i live my husband's family lives in the Chicago land area. Um, so I'm not always with my immediate family. So depending on what that schedule is, sometimes we'll dictate where we go for the holidays. Um, my husband's also an only child. So we usually try to spend time with his family um, because my parents have Jess as a backup plan. Thanks for being a backup, <laughs> Jess. Um, so for we're hosting Christmas this year, which is going to be quite a big, actually easier undertaking. But so that being said, Thanksgiving will go to over to Brian, one of Brian's aunts or uncles or cousins house. And when you host, how many people? 15 to 20. Okay. All right. I like to take every day, day by day and live in the present. So I don't yet have Thanksgiving plans. Um, I don't know if any of you all recognize our so our um, family's inability to make plans, I don't know if, if your mother is, is like that at all, but I know um, being here, we have um, all of our Aunt Gail, like Aunt Gail here, and then, you know, my mom and parents here. And so trying to um, really hammer out details with, um, they talk a lot. Our family talks a lot. I'm not sure how much communication is happening. <laughs> So, um, sure. so we'll kind of see what Aunt Gail has going on as well. Um, and then see whether we're going to hop on that train. I know with COVID and Uncle Danny having been sick with a compromised immune system, we have been kind of playing each thing by ear, depending on what's happening with COVID and in fact, cold and flu season. 
Thanksgiving last year because Brian got COVID. So we had a charcuterie board that fed 20 people that I had ordered that we ate <laughs> over the <laughs> break. And then I had to like make a last minute run to the grocery store to get all the Thanksgiving things to make Thanksgiving dinner for the family, which worked out great. It was fine. It is what it is. But I think to your point, Jess, I think what many of us have learned is um, it's like, you know, the best laid, the best made plans, right? So you try to make plans, but then at the end of the day, you really don't know how it's going to pan out in the end. Yeah. Yeah. And we had, I think sometimes last year, last year we had all of um, our dad's family here and then we hosted Sometimes I get really anxious. Um, I don't know if you guys ever get this way and then it ends up being better than you thought, but I'm like, was so nervous and horrified about things that would be said to me that would be really offensive or not knowing. I think we're in such a polarized political climate that if people are just going to start saying crazy things to me, I think I was getting so nervous (laughs) about it and I'm not, I'm not going to be combative about it. Um, but it is something that I will have to take some time to ground myself, self-soothe, think of responses. Is that an opportunity for me to remove myself from that situation at that time? Um, and actually it ended up being a wonderful time and that was all kind of in my head, but I don't know if that happens with you guys when you're setting your expectations <clears throat> and how that ends up playing out. Yeah, I think I've learned. So when we talk about having healthy expectations, um, obviously disappointment comes from unmet expectations. So um, growing up with such a diverse family, I have learned how to adjust my expectations. And so some of that just comes on um, shifting my focus to the things that are within my control. So becoming super obsessed about how the table setting is going to look and what time are we putting in, um, you know, which side or, you know, how much how coordinating an oven schedule so that I know exactly when things are coming in and out of the oven. Um, so my sisters are like, we can't even come into your kitchen when you're in there because it's like, we don't, it's like throwing a wrench, you know, inside of a cogwheel or something. So I just, um, pretty much busy myself in the kitchen with the things I can control, uh, as almost an avoidance strategy so that everyone else has to be out of the kitchen and, uh, talking and hopefully communicating (laughs) while I'm cooking. Well, I think about that. That's such a boundary. Like to me, right. A boundary is an invisible line that separates, right. Me from you. It separates your physical space, your feelings, needs, and responsibilities. And so your boundaries tell other people how they can treat you and what's acceptable. I've definitely done that a lot more. It's not necessarily removing yourself from a situation before it happens, but having a safe place for you to be. So I've even had it where I'm upstairs. I'll talk with my spouse ahead of time. So I'm going to be upstairs doing these certain things because that's my way of like being out of the chaos for a little yeah. bit. And so like for you, that's your kitchen. Mm-hmm. So like identifying a safe space if possible, right? And, and yeah, and, they, and that maybe that that is avoiding, but I think there are a lot of strategies and, and things that we can do because the point is to keep us healthy and safe. It's not to resolve issues or make everybody else feel wonderful is how do we keep ourselves feeling safe and healthy, right? Yeah. I think even just daily cooking, my kids know that the kitchen is a complaint free zone. Like you can't complain <laughs> in the that. kitchen. So if they come in and there's something heavy on their minds, I'm like, Ooh, this sounds like it's a complaint. And then they just back right out of the kitchen. <laughs> We've created that safe space for cooking. Uh, when we sit down at the dining room table, we can talk through some of those 
uh, feelings and, and especially if there are some, um, we do peek at pets. So if there's some complaints associated with your pets, that's okay, but not in the kitchen, not while I'm preparing our food. Yeah. I think we talked about that, but we saw you, oh my gosh, 2019 when you did peek yeah. at pet and that, or no, it was around Christmas time. I don't know whenever it was, if it was 2018, cause you guys did it at your dinner table one night. I think I it was when we went to like at the, at it was for Aunt Christmas. Mandy's funeral. Yeah. Oh, Mandy's funeral. Yeah. I think that would have been 2019. Oh, but I didn't have the kids with me. Did I? Anyway, <laughs> a long time ago, Gio would have been four and he says peek and pit every night at our dinner table. Oh, that's like, wonderful. It was so it, it left such an impression on him and he doesn't want any, uh, anything other than peek and pit. You can't say, let's all talk about our day or let's talk about scale of one to 10. Those are not acceptable. It has to be your peak and fit. And that was from you guys, which I think is great. And I've recommended to clients. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. My sister Angie recently heard uh, attitude and gratitude. Yeah. And that's how oh, one that's of her cool friends too. did it. You know, what's something that gave you a little bit of attitude and then <laughs> something that you, know, you were grateful for. Yeah. I like that. I like that. How about you, Cal? What are some strategies maybe you've implemented or some crazy things that someone has said to you that's, that's then had you reformulating for next time? Um, I mean, I think for me, it's a little different just because it's so much lower key. I mean, I, I spend my holidays for the most part with Brian's family and, um, they all are, everything is very scheduled and controlled to eliminate any, I believe any volatility, any drama. So there's no drama during the holidays, at least on the surface. Um, and so it makes for a very pleasant interaction, which is really why I like it too. It's um, very predictable in a lot of ways. Um, in fact, it can be so much so that sometimes what we've tried to do when we host is add like some sort of a fun component to it. I think, um, I think increasingly with most families, there is just everyone is tense maybe even not maybe not even toward each other but just in general there's just tension with what's going on in the world stress and anxiety of things so um i think one of the things that we will do when we host christmas in particular is have some sort of a tension breaker so a couple of years ago we brought like um six pack of i don't know so i think izzy used to make some like thanksgiving flavored sodas and so then everybody would try that or just some fun little components. So when you're spending time with family, it's a it's a fun distraction that everyone finds enjoyable that doesn't have to be about the family dynamic of some sort. Right. So it kind of helps everybody forget about all that. And it, it becomes a lot more enjoyable. And I think that's different. Interesting, because your husband's an only child and um, so he might not have right. He's not going to have any sibling issues or tension or be triggered that way. And then also by spending it with, um, your in-laws, you don't, you don't have that, um, those emotional triggers for yourself, right? Exactly. Cause it's not your so family. It makes it I mean, it is your for, family, but in some family ways, of origin, I've removed myself from my triggers in that way. You know, I've moved far away from my family. Um, when we do spend when I talk about holidays with the family, it's with, um, because not only is Brian only child, but a couple of his cousins are as well. So, or there's only one, one child that's there. So when we spend holidays, it's with 
three or four aunts and uncles, their kids, and then everyone's married at this point, and then they have a couple kids. Um, and so that's like the unit that shows up, um, which is very similar to, you know, our families that we grew up with, right? Where you're spending holidays with your aunts and uncles and cousins. It's the same thing. It's just um, not my family. So it's people I like, and I don't know them well enough to not like them anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, have you ever, um, I, maybe I'm wrong, but like any of us gathering, like, you know, with people talking of controversial topics and then what do you do? Or people say things that we really disagree with, um, you know, what are your guys' strategies and tips to, to handle when, when people are saying things that maybe are offensive to you or upsetting? Well, I think maybe having a proactive approach. So if you know that certain family members are more likely to visit those topics, even just saying, Hey, we're trying to keep this lighthearted. Uh, we're not going to talk politics. We're not going to talk, you know, religion. We're not going to talk, maybe having some off limit talk topics. Um, but one of the things that we do, like our mom is kind of known for storytelling. She captures the audience. She's very animated. She gets really loud. So I will, and, and it doesn't matter what other people are talking about. When it's her turn to talk, she expects the full attention of the room. So if I can get her to share a story that I know is going to be oh gosh, remember that time mom when, you know, grandpa came home and he did something crazy and everybody went out and she, oh, just, and she gets so excited to start telling them before you know it, everybody's engaging in like a happy memory That's of great. our family. And especially for the family members who aren't with us, which I think is kind of what holidays really should be about, you know, the family that we still have presently and then remembering our family, you know, that are, are not with us anymore. So just kind of queuing her up. So I usually have a pocket full of those stories like, oh, mom, you know, let's tell so-and-so about that time, you know, grandpa did this or, you know, the time that Uncle Tom wore a hat at the breakfast table, you know, like. <laughs> That's why triggering. That would be triggering for us. Um, <laughs> I, I think that goes in line a little bit with what you're saying, Kelly, with the game, right? They have something in your back pocket, like you were kind of saying, right? Like it's topics like and then also, oh, we have this game. Air, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the other part too is um, when you're hosting large crowds, um, the last couple of years, it seems like the holidays have had decent weather. So they're, there's like the kids can go outside. They're not running around the house. It's like all the things that maybe drive everybody crazy. Um, that helps too is, you know, seems like every everywhere we go, and it, I felt like that way growing up too. I don't know about you guys. And we even when we went back to like Victoria for New Year's, we're like every, for most of the part, everywhere we'd go, there would be like a kid's area of some sort. Sometimes it was lamer than others. Sometimes it would be like really cool old school toys or something that people had. Um, but I think from a family perspective for me, cause I'm a people pleaser, it's like trying to not create stress for others. So like making sure the kids have things to do that they're not driving everybody crazy. I know I have a talent for bringing everything to the four agreement. So what helps me anytime I'm going to be with people, um, who might be saying things that are hurtful, offensive to me. Um, I just kind of tell myself the second agreement, don't take things personally. And that's about them and not me. I know we had some family over, I believe last Christmas and um, our cousins were saying something about Rush Limbaugh's death and our father engaged and they all were like yelling. And I felt like the 
engaging in politics was something that all of those people were very comfortable doing. And that would be a topic I would avoid, right? That would be something that I would avoid. And so just being able to tell myself, like, this is their stuff. This is what they're engaging in. They're all comfortable raising their voices and fighting. And that's not about me. I don't need to hop in. I don't need to soothe the situation. I think I feel oftentimes my role would be to like lighten the mood and get in the way and soothe everybody else's emotions, but to kind of be like, oh, that they're arguing, right? That's outside of me. That's them doing that. And so um, at that time I got up and went somewhere else and busied myself with something else because that wasn't anything. I think just recognizing that wasn't mine to take on, you know? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, I think it is, it's hard not to take things personally or at least bring them into you. But it seems like also knowing who's coming to your party, knowing who's coming to your house and knowing those personalities and you, you kind of know what's, what are the possible, like we've, we've known our families for so long at this point, you know, there are things that you can like theoretically, right. You know, that that could come up in hindsight, you know, if you wanted to prevent that in the future, um, there are some people that might be family members who are more reasonable about keeping it in check versus others who just get really emotional and you know that and trying to figure out how to manage that. I don't know, but I'm, cause I'm just all about like trying to keep everybody happy and on an even keel for the handful of hours everybody is together. But I think like what's helped me so much, I know I talked about this before, but just understanding that I'm an empath. If this makes sense, <clears throat> it's kind of like, okay you can do all the things both of you guys are saying, set up spaces, try to make everything set up, have topics to talk about, have a safe space for you. But if it all blows up, that's not your responsibility. Do you understand? Like that's, yeah. those are, that's those people. And what's so funny is like, so our cousin Shiloh um, and Ian's partner, Jen, were disagreeing with dad. They know dad. They know how dad is. They weren't offended they'll talk later you know what i mean it's not like they're well they don't have that history so, like well, we would have or something well that. right but they're yeah. but like i would say you know everyone understands the dynamic of our family and their own family and um i don't need to rush in if this makes sense and defend them or protect them or defend our father and protect our father like they're all adults and they're going to make those choices to engage in those conversations, I don't need to be responsible for the emotions of the room. I don't need, even though it's in my home, they're choosing to engage in all of that stuff. And so um, I'm letting it go, right? You do your due diligence, you try, but if all hell breaks loose, you don't have to jump in and save everybody, right? You don't have to do that. You just have to make sure you're safe. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, Thank I guess even to bubble it up higher is as much as one tries to create set boundaries and create boundaries, there are some things that just happen. Yeah. I would prefer now, I would say uh, even three years ago, I would jump in, right. And try to simmer it down. But now I'm just like, well, look at all of those crazy people. <laughs> I'm going to go outside now by, you know what I mean? And like, that's my boundary, my boundary um, that I'm not going to do that anymore. And I know um, Sophia, you've talked before and and I know you really like, um, Richard Swartz and his work on internal family systems. And so kind of also looking at it that way and how do you kind of go about it that way, looking at, at uh, you know, from a systems perspective? Yeah. So usually, um, so when we talk about the internal family systems, the parts that usually come up when we're talking about some of these family dynamics that are maybe a little bit harder to navigate through 
um, I would say exiles and managers. So exiles are the parts of us that when we were younger or um, maybe, uh, you know, seven or 14 or something happened that we didn't manage as well as we could. Maybe we just weren't empowered with the skills to manage it. So it was traumatic. And our managers are the parts of us that are there to protect those exiles, right? So this is like your inner critic who <clears throat> may set some boundaries, don't even engage because if you do that, it's gonna end you know, bad in setting some boundaries to keep you protected. Um, your angry protector, workaholic, you know, so for me, the I'm going to just be super busy in the kitchen. That's a protector part. And I can recognize that. So when we start to think about the way that our family members are, I try to see what part of them may be um, involved in that particular event and coming at it from a place of curiosity. So, you know, we talk about the parts of us, but those parts are not our core self. So our core self can be curious and compassionate. Um, so we can come at it differently. Um, you know, one of the things I heard is that, you know, I've never met a part that didn't like to be recognized. So when somebody is maybe being that angry protector, you know, saying, wow, I can see how passionate you are about this. It sounds like it's really important to you. So even just bringing in awareness to the way that they're reacting can help to maybe take that part, mm -hmm. you know, okay, I'm being recognized. Maybe I can downshift or de-escalate the situation. So parts work has been really helpful for me because I can recognize what parts I'm interacting with, especially with my siblings and with my mom. So when I can see the part um, and then know how to communicate with that part, which is not the same like I would communicate when they're in core self. So yeah. parts work is really helpful for those family events. And I think, I, I think step one of that, I would say would be self-soothing, right? So if we have to, we, we might have a visceral, visceral reaction to someone's anger. And so to ensure like that we've taken a moment to calm ourselves, soothe ourselves, and then we can, you know, ask those questions, like you're saying, like, exactly, like you seem really passionate about this topic, you know, and making um, like being a scientist, right. And making observations and looking at it from a perspective outside of yourself. So yes. you're not in it, which I think so many times with our family of origin, it's like, we're a cog in the wheel. It's like, we walk through that threshold. We automatically like to start playing our part, whether we're aware of it or not. And so being able to um, be very present and grounded, trying not to react, but explore it, you know, in a curious way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's excellent. I think that's really good. I need to do more, more reading and exploring on that. So well, just some questions on that too, is how does one, is it just kind of training then, right? How to know it's like recognizing like each family member is different. Each family member has a different set of types, right. Or a different mm -hmm. size of them. Is this also partly maybe even going through an exercise to kind of understand your family members or like things like that to ways, I guess my question is, is like, how do you train your brain to be in those, when you're in those moments, how to react? Yeah, I think that's great. So, um, when we talk about like past trauma, um, trying to correlate how it feels physiologically in our own bodies. So when we talk about triggers, like, oh, that could be triggering what happens physiologically. And 
So one of the things that we learned is our resiliency zone, right? So you've got this resiliency zone. And if you get out of your resiliency zone and you end up, you know, this is where we're anxious, worrisome, uh, maybe even rapid heart rate. You can feel your heart pounding, blood pressure maybe goes mm -hmm. up. Um, or if we fall down out of our resiliency zone, this is maybe where we're a little withdrawn um, or disassociating, you know, so this would be more like, um, you know, just uh, maybe even some depression, lack of empathy, we just really emotionally remove ourselves. So when you start, so my work with the therapist and parts work was recognizing when I'm in my resiliency zone, and when I'm getting close to the edges of that zone. Okay. And as you can start to feel your body like we talked about kind of our body being able to give us cues when a food or something in the environment isn't agreeing to us. Mm -hmm. But even with our environment, those cues come on and they come on pretty subtle, whether it's okay. something in our stomach or we feel our heart rate going up. For me, it's like a, a, a void in my chest and I start to feel that. And I can even put my hand on my chest, like telling myself, okay, I feel that. And then I start to get curious okay, why is this happening? Why do I feel that void again? Why is my heart rate going up? Is this something present? Is this something past? Is there a part of me, like one of my parts that is trying to, is being called from that uh, physiological response? Um, I'll, I have a, a necklace. You, you'll find me kind of playing with my necklace. That's like, okay, I'm getting close to the edge of my resiliency zone. And instead of fully losing myself in that emotion, I pause and I try to get curious where does this come from? And the more I can stay grounded and in a place of core self with my curiosity, the less reactive I'm going to become. So it, it, it allows me to hold my own without being sucked into the vortex of drama that is created by those feelings. And so what I'm, what I'm hearing you say, right, is that work of knowing your triggers? Yes. There is an incredible book. I don't know if you got it. It's relatively new. It's an audio book. What happened to you? I'm Oprah familiar. Winfrey I don't, I have not. Bruce it's on my Perry. list. <laughs> so good. I think they do such a great job of explaining triggers and how we, they're so subtle that we might, may not know that's happening. And I like to think of it too. Another way of looking at it is fight, flight, or freeze. Yes. I am definitely a fighter my husband is a freezer. And that was like, to me, just in our dynamic, if he would freeze, I was like, what is happening? You know what I mean? Like, I, like he didn't care. He's not responding what's happening, but to understand like, oh, right. When, when, when he's triggered, right. And your adrenaline is pumping, he's, he freezes. And so I can know for me that, that when I, wanting to like jump up and fight and like, you know, recognize what that looks like. I know Kelly and I, you and I have both talked, um, uh, hearing yelling, right. Hearing yelling is very triggering for us. I remember living in Philadelphia and there was an, in a car, there was a man yelling at a woman and I like ran up to my apartment and started crying. You know what I mean? It was yeah. like, what was, what was that about? You know, I was so sensitive to like everyone else's stuff, right. Just so raw out there and absorbing that and taking that on and being like, well, what's that about? Right. And so doing that work of knowing yourself, right. We have to know ourselves and know, wait, this is different for me. What does that feel like for me? What does that look like for me? Um, and then we have to self-soothe. And I love, I love the idea. I talk with this so much in my work, um, is prevention and intervention, right? So there's that prevention piece that, you know, if we think of scale of one to 10, 
10, I'm triggered. Like my adrenaline's pumping. I'm not engaged in my rational mind. If we're caring for ourselves in prevention, we can be around the world at like a zero to three. And so if, if something comes that triggers us, maybe we'll get to a five or a six, but we kind of manage it. But if we're not doing the prevention piece and we're walking around the world at a seven, it's not going to take much for us to tip over. Um, and so it's like making sure that we're doing all the things that we talk so much about at Chasing Brighter is caring for yourself, finding your joy, getting enough sleep. How were, how was, how was your health, your physical health, your mental health, and then the intervention piece, which I think is so much that we're talking about today, right? Which is when it goes down, when stuff goes down, what are the strategies we need to do right then and there to make sure that we're keeping ourselves safe mm -hmm. and then can get mm -hmm. in a spot to where we can self-soothe. And what's really interesting, Jess, is that a lot of that in that book, because you know, I have it. In that book, for sure. The self-soothing component is definitely in there. You can be, you can be triggered and elevated and heightened indefinitely. And that is where it comes in, where they're linking right trauma to health issues, right? Because when you're heightened, at that state, right? High blood pressure, um, heart disease, uh, reduced immunity, all of those things. And we're not aware, people are not aware that they're walking around heightened. And Sophia, that's I love that you're talking about the resilience zone too. That sounds really cool. And that's in your internal family systems. Is that? It is. The, yeah, it is. Um, and then I also wanted to bring up just with family gatherings, and since we kind of started this with setting some healthy boundaries, um, just with fight and flight, um, Pete Walker also adds in fawning and how so many of us learn to fawn, which is take care of everyone else around us. And when we learn it at an early age, you do something bad, you get scolded, there's that lack of connection and security. Um, and then you do something good and they're like, oh my gosh, you did something good, this is amazing. And so kids will naturally um, start to try to do good things for other people, it's rewarding. And um, I feel like that recognizing that that could be a coping skill can also help you find those triggers because I feel like the alarm sounds pretty quick when we're in fight or flight, like, oh, something's happening. But with that fawning, like where we're so uh, engaged in taking care of everyone else, like when you kept saying, that's not mine, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm not, I don't need to be a part of those. Those are adults engaging in a conversation that they're comfortable with. But our desire to want to take care of that and make sure that everybody is calm and mm -hmm. at peace and connected. So that fawning aspect, when I learned about fawning, um, that is when the light went off for me, like, oh, I may not be in fight or flight, but that fawning is still such a silent alarm that I need to recognize I'm still being triggered and um, needing to have a better awareness of what in the environment is doing that so that I can yeah. start to widen my resiliency zone. And I, I think mm -hmm. uh, what was helpful for me with the fawning as well was that um, it made let's, getting engaging in it made my husband uncomfortable, right? We've been married 21 years and he did not grow up in such an emotionally volatile environment. And so when I would jump in to, and what I thought I was doing was to help everybody and bring everybody down. He, he, he felt like it was throwing myself in the mix and then possibly escalating, but also making him feel uncomfortable. So he was kind of like, let's not jump in, right? Let's not jump in. Um, but it took me, I think years and years and years and years to um, develop better skills for that and to be able to 
you know, it is not intrinsic for me to care for myself. So that is a very hard work for me to touch base with me before ensuring everybody else is okay. So that, that I think that's hard work. Yes. I know you have a hard time with that, Jess. Have you touched base with yourself today? Can I tell you, I want to do a reel yesterday showing an eye twitch because if one more thing was put on my plate yesterday, I mean, I don't know, ladies, come on. Do you have these moments where like, oh, your week is just every hour is planned and more is thrown on. And like, I was at my limit yesterday and then three more things were thrown on just of having the children and their activities that I was. And so my, um, my car, they keep telling me every day is going to be done. And so yesterday was the day where they called to say, sorry, not today. Today's not the day with a car, <laughs> with your car's not going to be done. It's like, I was um, over the edge and I do, I was like, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do to care for myself? Because it was so stressful. Um, so I was trying to identify my needs. Uh, Justin made dinner. Um, I did have to take, I wanted to not, I wanted uh, Giovanni to skip baseball practice really badly. I wanted to stay home, but instead I, um, all of the parents go out and watch their children. And I just let my seven-year-old run to practice. And I sat in the car and watched a movie. <laughs> so I was like, hopefully he made it to the right field. I'm going to stay in he the came car. back, right? He's not missing. So, <laughs> well, we, I had Gabby, uh, come with me and I love when she comes with me because then she's my get out of the car goer, you know? And so I'm like, go see if he's done. Go see, it's getting dark. They didn't have lights in the field. And so I was like, go check him out. And then, um, and then replanning for today, right? Okay. Okay. Is there any time tomorrow that I can use for self-care? Anytime I can squeeze it in. And what are some things, if anything, can we take off our plate? Like really strategizing. Can I outsource anything or take anything off my plate? The answer is no for this week, unfortunately. Um, so it's just, uh, uh, you know, I think to me, the core three are moving my body, eating well and sleeping. So I can just really tighten those, those three um, up and I was in bed, I think a little before nine last night. Um, and then just trying to nourish myself and carve out opportunities for physical activity. How about you too? Well, I was going to say that, you know, what you're talking about too, you know, talking about the holidays and boundaries. I mean, it gets so busy during the holidays. Um, similarly, it gets really hard for maybe it's like the typical self-care isn't it you have to kind of maybe adjust what you're doing so indulging during the holiday season right um and less movement (laughs) (laughs) um but maybe that's okay too maybe some of what we have to do for self-care needs to evolve given certain times and what's going on you know that video watching was self-care jess right i mean it wasn't what you wanted to do but i mean wasn't what you typically do but it was something that is serving its purpose in that way. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a a binge watcher or a TV person. And I would say, um, I would debate whether that is a coping skill, right. Watching shows, but, um, I guess that was an opportunity for me to dissociate a little bit and I, I needed that. Well, and even just, um, you know, some other things like maybe going for a walk instead of sitting and watching the game or, um, little videos for deep breathing exercises, Mm -hmm. Qigong, uh, legs up the wall. You know, I feel like sometimes with self-care, 
we feel like it has to be this extravagant plan. Like I'm going to go get a massage or I'm going to take a hot mm-hmm. bubble bath and soak. But even just, I will, the kids will find me on the dining room floor with my legs up the wall, just like there and breathing. Um, like, why are you on the floor in the dining room? It's like a common to find me somewhere on the ground, um, just laying and breathing and just taking, even if it's just three or five minutes just to breathe. Um, it, I mean, it can be a, just enough of a reset that you can make it through the rest of the day. If we were summarizing what we were talking about today, it would be kind of that prevention piece, the self-care piece. I think before going to your family holiday event, you would be um, looking at uh, kind of preparing, are there are there going to be any triggers and what can I do if I have, if I'm triggered, um, what can I kind of set up for myself to make sure that it's okay. And then I have, so I have those intervention pieces going and there might be mm-hmm. some personal work we have to do before, during, and after the holidays, whether that is working with a therapist, whether that is working with the healer of some sort. Um, we we're always talking about book, right? Listening to the books that we've been recommending throughout this podcast. Yeah. So we can kind of understand uh, the dynamics that are at play here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sophia, thank you so much for joining us. It's always well, great welcome. talking it's to you. It's a pleasure to be on. We always thank get amazing so nuggets of insights. So thank you. Well, thank you. Absolutely. And uh, hopefully we're all ready for some happy holidays. Yeah. <laughs> Better equipped totally. to go in totally. with our, uh, our hearts open and our eyes wide open. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening and joining us today. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Chasing Brighter or on our blog, ChasingBrighter.com.